On today's episode of Higher Learning, we are joined by Florencia Stanfield, the Chief DE&I Officer at Batesco Technologies. Florencia has such an incredible background, and she says so much great advice and insights on everything from diversity, equity, and inclusion in over 20 different countries, what it's like to interview and bring in great talent into your organization, and why it's important to have friends and people you like to work with if you want to have any type of sustainable job performance and appreciation and fulfillment. I know you're going to love this episode of Florencia. I can't wait for you all to listen and get your feedback. Thanks so much. Welcome to another episode of Higher Learning. I am your host, Oz Rashid. Today, my listeners, we have a very special guest. We're joined by Florencia Stanfield. She is the Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer at Vitesco Technologies. Florencia, how are you doing today? Hey, Oz, how are you? I'm great. How about you? I'm doing awesome. Um, I'm feeling good. It's early in the week. It's been a good week so far, so I cannot complain. Actually, I gotta be honest with you. I'm looking out at 75 degree weather and the ocean is a little bit in the distance. You are located in beautiful Detroit, I believe, correct? Uh, close to Detroit. So um, kind of getting, yeah. I can't get used to the gray days that we have here. So it's like snowy and rainy and cold and gray, but hopefully getting out of it, so. Us Florida guys just rubbing it in over here. I'm so sorry. You know what? You call me in the dead of summer and let me know when you're having a beautiful Detroit day and I'm. it's raining and I'm humid. And I'll feel just as bad. So <laughs> let's start here. I want to learn a little bit about your current company, Batesco, and how you came to join the company. Yeah, absolutely. So we're a pretty cool company, actually. We're, let's say we're in high tech in the automotive industry, which Ooh. means that we develop products that are very much like software based for cars that are either like the traditional technologies around inter internal combustion engines or electrify vehicles. So electric vehicles or hybrid vehicles. And that's basically the core of what we do. So we work with all the automotive makers and uh, we're, again, we're very kind of high tech, hiring a lot of software developers and software engineers. Um, so yeah, it's interesting that we compete with like companies that are in the technology space, even if we're in automotive. And uh, we're based out of Germany, so we're a European company. And it's a, it's a really cool company to work for. But. I love that. So I'm fast. So, um, Oh, yeah. I wanted to ask a little bit about the technology. So you're working like on the combustion technologies, the things that all cars have. But as you've moved more into the EV space, is that a recent transformation or is that something that's been in the works and working for a long time? It's been it's been in the works for some time. Uh, countries and, and governments and in the in the United States, even states have different regulations that have been more and more progressive um, towards electrification of their fleets um, and, and of the fleet overall. There are some states that are a little bit more, let's say, uh, forward thinking in these aspects and some others that are a little bit behind. But we do see that all uh, car manufacturers today either have a business unit that's focused on electrification and you see a lot of, you know, the typical traditional makes of cars that are launching their, their electric vehicle series. Um, and also we see the, the, the surge and the growth of companies that are only electric vehicles, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, we cannot say any brands here, we have any makes, but we all know who we're talking about. So there's definitely a tendency in the market to go towards electrification and we're just jumping early in the wave, right? Well, I'll tell you what, the, 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 the companies we will not name, I drive one of their cars and it's one of the best things I own. And I'm very appreciative of this movement. Not only is it great for the environment, but um, just the way that the car drives and, and, and all the different unique technologies that come with it. I guess I have the Tesco to thank for that. Um, I think it's awesome. So I'm super, super appreciative. And that's really interesting. So you are the chief DEI officer for Vitesco, and you're supporting 20 countries. And so when I learned that, something that immediately came to mind to me is that DEI standards, I would think from the U.S. and country to country, 
they differ quite a bit. And I imagine there has to be some level of nuance that comes into play when you're thinking about things from different demographics, what what diversity means, standards, priority, ideas. So I'm just interested with so many different countries and, and all those differences, how do you manage such a large, I guess the best word is portfolio of countries, and, and then manage to give a customized nuanced approach to each country while still having a framework that is, is, is kind of what is imperative for the company overall, DE&I standards? Well, it's complex, as you said, and I think that one of the premises that I stand by is like one size does not fit all, right? That's that's something that you need to understand when we're, you're managing uh, a global, um, let's say, center of expertise or discipline like I do. So definitely there's like, as you, you said for me, the keyword framework, right? So you need to have a framework. So you need to understand where you're headed, right? And what are the pillars that are, are going to support your strategy? And we do have that. So we've identified that we're going to be working on understanding, listening and learning, right? And understanding what our underrepresented communities around the world look like, and what they need, right? We're going to be working on developing and retaining talent, which means different things in different countries because of different local laws and, and demographics, right? We're going to be working on instilling accountability. So how do we make people accountable for this? How do we make people understand that this is more than demographics, than representation, right? How do we make people become, you know, more, let's say, stronger advocates or allies to, to DE&I? And then last but not least, how do we become role models? How do we instill this, this aspect of being role models, not only for our employees from, from a leadership standpoint towards our employees, but also in the, let's say, the, in the ecosystems where we operate? How do we become these like good neighbors that we want to be right within the industry, within the automotive industry, and also in the communities around the world? So with that framework, right, we kind of we establish that framework for all of our countries, and then we let the countries interpret what that means to them. So that means that that you know that that picture, that framework is going to be interpreted different in China than in India, than in the Czech Republic, than in the U.S. And that's how you kind of make a, let's say, a, a directive or a strategy. Kind of you put like meat into it, into it, right? And you execute. So that's what basically what we do, right? So again, you know, uh, an underrepresented community in China may be a multi-children family, right? And I always bring that as an example because for us it's like weird, right? But uh, in China, you know, having more than one kid is identified as an underrepresented community. So how do we address the needs of multi-children families in China? In India, there's you know a lot of focus in uh, the community that has to do with people with disabilities. How do we address the needs of the community of people with disabilities in India, and so on and so forth, right? So every country has their nuances, and um, and again, as long as we can we can place or we can define the strategy for each country under one of those pillars of our overall strategy, it all makes sense. We're all moving in the same direction, and again, one size does not fit all, and I cannot have control over everything. So you know, once the direction is set, I let, I let people do which I think is also something that you need to learn, you know, as a global manager, you cannot control it all, right? Yeah, wow, that, that, so that's fascinating to me and learning the, the the nuance in China versus India versus the US, That that's awesome. I don't know if you can answer this, but is there a country that you support that really leads the charge around equity and inclusion, maybe at the government level, maybe at a policy level, um, or maybe that leads to more rigidity, I don't know, but is there one that stands out to you when I say that? I would say that depends on the country. There's more. There's countries that have have more of a um, more, let's say, social democratic approach that are more are more are tighter in the things that they require from companies. So they require, you know, certain targets of representation for certain demographics. 
and and that's kind of a bit more limiting in the in the capacity or the, of the things that you can do but you just you need to abide by those laws and those requirements by governments and there's countries where it's a little bit a little bit more let's say up to the companies to you know move towards having within the company a representation of the communities that they that they serve right so there it depends a little bit on the on the you know policies of each country and it has a little bit to do also with politics so it's different. Yeah. I love that. Wow. Super fascinating. Another thing is that I have a lot of friends who um, are chief diversity, equity and inclusion officers. And one of the things that, you know, after we're maybe having a glass of wine or out to lunch and we're talking and we're talking about some of the challenges is that sometimes when that role is bifurcated from the organization, right, or it stands alone, that it can be very hard to not be an adjacency to the business, right? Because a lot of times when I look at DEI practices, it's really the responsibility of the business for it to be intrinsic into the business. How do you manage and handle that at Vitesco in particular to make sure that it's it's part of like kind of the everyday policy and thought process and not just diversity stepping in after the fact and saying, did we make sure we did X, Y, Z? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's a I think it's a journey, right? It's not like a, a milestone that you hit and then you're done, right? So this topic about DEI, is so let's say it's so broad, right? That you cannot say, okay, I'm done. Like I did this, I'm done. You know, we're good, we're great. Um, so I would say, how do you address that? First of all, you need to embed DNI within, you know, in, into your processes and practices, right? And procedures and policies. So then what happens is that you know you start having these topics so much so embedded into what you do that you start kind of like incorporating that as part of your you know common language. So there's that's there's a kind of a process foundational side to it but for me the most important and the thing that I'm more, most passionate about is how do you work with leaders so that they incorporate this as part of their you know normal natural conversations with their teams and their teams with their teams and so on and so forth so you start kind of cascade, cascading this down and I think that you know leadership involvement at the top is critical to be able to kind of move an organization towards a certain you know desired image of the future so i think that for me having those difficult conversations with leaders at the top are have been you know critical in again in deploying a strategy that actually makes sense right and again a lot of dni there's a lot of association of dni with representation right and and affirmative action plans on kind of the, the harder side of it but at the end of the day when we talk about dni we're talking about building culture right we talk about like developing and enhancing and celebrating those behaviors that we want in our leaders that then cascade down to the rest of our organization, right? So we have leaders that are open, honest, like, you know, they're, they, they're uh, close to their people, they hear their people, they wanna have the input of others. Then you're gonna have an organization that's eager to provide feedback where people are okay stating their own voice and opinion. So that kind of generates a whole culture, right? So I think the beauty of DNI has to do with, with this creation of culture that we enable through the practice of diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's fantastic. I love that. I mean, and you mentioned leadership development. I know that's an area that you're passionate about. You spend a lot of your career working in that space. You work at a technology company, so you're working with engineering leaders a lot of the time. And a lot of times they're getting these leadership roles because their expertise is in engineering and what they love. And then a lot of times that's not always conducive or they haven't gotten classical training when it comes to people dynamics. And we all know that's very important as you rise up the chain, especially as you have people reporting to you. How have you tackled that? How has that been something that that, that maybe you address up front or maybe you assess it? Give me an idea of um, if you've encountered that and what you've done to kind of overcome it. 
Well, I'll tell you this. I love working with engineers. They're amazing. Um, and I've, I've been working with engineers for more than 20 years now. So it's been a while. So that's a good question that you're asking because I did like so naturally that it's hard to kind of, you know, put it into, again, a framework to use that word. Um, I would say that for me, it's not necessarily only engineers or only in this space. I think it's it's everybody that's put into a leadership role because of their accomplishments from a technical standpoint or as individual contributors has a challenge of, now I need to get things done through others, right? And how do I do that? So it's not necessarily only, let's say, restrictive of engineers. What happens with engineers, what to your point or to your question, is that they don't teach like people skills in school. So you, you graduate from college, you sometimes get into a master's degree or into a PhD, and you don't know how to deal with people. And that's that's something that is, is harder maybe for engineers. Um, so I, I re respect and appreciate them because you know, because of their style, and I'm, I'm, I'm using stereotypes here, so bear with me, because of their style, generally, they appreciate what they don't know. The, 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 let's say that the skills and the competence that you bring of around things that they don't know much about. So they're eager to learn, they're eager to practice, they want everything like, you know, nailed down into a process and the details, and sometimes you can't do that. But generally speaking, they're very much open to accepting and acknowledging that there's not, you know, not a, they don't know everything, right? So that's great about working with, with leaders that are in the engineering space. And I think that uh, how do I address, like each, each person is a whole world. So we cannot say like there's a, a general rule, but I would say that for me, it's super important to understand where they come from, right? What is, what is your lived experience so far that got you to this point? You know, how do you think of yourself in terms of the accomplishments that have gotten you here? And what do you think you need to get, you know, to be like, you know, fully performing in this role or getting you into the next one, right? So at the end of the day, working with leaders overall has to do with understanding where they are, you know, what they think of themselves and helping them bridge the gap if there is one, right? In terms of their own self-perception and and uh, what's, what's real, let's say, what's the perception of others. And, and help them work towards that. It's not like just showing them, hey, there's a problem here, you know, look at yourself in the mirror and there's a distorted image, but it's also, we're gonna work on this together, okay? We're gonna, we're gonna practice this together. You're not gonna be alone in this process. And I think that's been very helpful for many. And, uh, you know, this, this space of confidential, like deep conversation about what's going on, what are your fears? You know, how do you address this? At very high levels, right? We're talking about executives, we're talking about CEOs here, I think that's, that's been valuable. And a lot of, you know, a lot of people at those levels are respected to the point that people are not genuine with them. So I think authenticity and being able to be transparent and say, hey, I don't know, I don't have all the answers, but let's work on this together um, has been very, also very helpful, you know, along, along the way. I love it. And you're just setting me up with segues here because you're talking about kind of that initial assessment. And I just think it's, it, it's when I see you meet a lot of executive coaches, you know, a lot of times they may lean a little bit too much on that framework. Maybe they have like that cookie cutter approach. And, and we both know that every leader is, is very, very different, like a snowflake in so many different ways. Sometimes they can be very inaccessible. Do you have an approach just in terms of as you're trying to learn them or what do you do differently to kind of make that assessment so that you can customize, you know, the, the, the approach in terms of development and how you work with them to get the most out? 
Well, I, I don't have a framework that I apply every single time. Okay, it depends a little bit on the leader and the on the issue that we want to solve, right? What is why are we getting together here? Like, what is it that we want to, you know, at the end of the line, what is it that we want to achieve? So that kind of shapes a little bit of the conversation that we have. But in order to get to know them, which is, I think, there's a threshold that you that you cross at some point where like there's like the barriers come down, right? And then the genuine, authentic relationship starts to be built. I think that what I what I do is to ask them about an imagined future that they can work towards. Like imagine yourself in the best, in your best self. Like, what does that look like? Imagine the best company that you could run. What would that look like? Imagine the best people that could report to you. Who would, who would they be? And how would you be with, with regards to them? So working again around the images of a you know, possible future. And again, understanding, okay, where I'm at today and where I want to go with these images. I think that's, that's a, a really, let's say positive, approach to the things that we need to work on right so again it's not that i use it it's it's kind of a, a methodology called appreciative inquiry i use it at sometimes you know to start conversations but again it depends on the issue that we we're trying to solve mm, i love that and i'm sure that the leaders you've worked with have been much better off from their experience in working with you and i just think it's so smart to to, to take it all differently and, and and customize the approach and so i love to hear that you're doing that now i want to talk a little bit about hiring because i know you've done tons of hiring throughout your career you know talent when you see it. I'm sure there's been great hires. There have been some good hires. There's been some hires that you wish you could have back. I want to talk about all those experiences. So let's start here. Do you have a core hiring philosophy for people that you want to bring into your team or into your organization? And if so, what is it? I would say I'm going to hire the, the best skilled person. And that is something that I always bring up because... Sometimes when you work, you know, around diversity topics and with minorities, you know, people are going to say by default, well, you're going to favor those that are in underrepresented communities. And it's not the case. That is not true. You know, I am going to be hiring the best suited candidate. And that is what I push on the company that I work for. We're not going to be favoring anybody because they're part of a minority, right? What we're doing is allowing people from underrepresented communities to have access, right, to these jobs. And then being interviewed like everybody else, which is something that maybe in the past didn't happen that often, right? But it doesn't mean that we're going to be hiring somebody because of an identity trait, right? Like gender or sexual orientation, right? So I would say hire the best person for the job, hire the most skilled person. And when I say most skilled, and this is the other thing that I like to always stand, you know, kind of point out is look for potential, look for that appetite, look for that capacity to learn quick. And deliver in a couple months it doesn't need to happen a day this thing about not everybody applying for jobs when they don't don't fill all the qualifications is real so you know make your job descriptions easy simple nimble so you have a lot of people applying even if they're not a hundred percent like exactly what you need and include potential as one of the things that you evaluate when you're thinking about the best skilled person for the job because the job may be one thing today but it not necessarily is the same thing and, you know, down the line in a couple of years. So think about that. Okay. Just like yeah. try to understand the unwritten rules of how do I identify potential, right? Yeah, I love that. So you definitely do not fit any stereotypes. I love that you talk about the most skilled person for the role because you're right. That wouldn't be what people would expect. 
to hear from the chief diversity officer of a company. But I think you're absolutely right. And, and really the way I look at it is, is that I believe in equality of opportunity, but not equality of outcome. And so at the end of the day, I, it's on us to create a funnel, to give people the opportunity to interview, to give people the opportunity to show that they can fill, fulfill that capacity when they haven't been given it in the chance. Because it's when you're looking at these repressed groups or you're looking at a historically disenfranchised group, it's a lot of times that they haven't even had the same opportunities to achieve the same things. And so to be able to lift that up is of critical importance. But at the same time, to have a a meritocratic business, to have a business that is skills focused and talent based, right? After you lift that opportunity up and try to give it to everybody now, it's incumbent upon you to hire the best person for the role. And that's how you have the best business outcomes. And that's how you become a leader in your industry. Um, So I, I certainly love that. And I think that is the right way to go about it. And I appreciate you saying that. What about a memorable interview experience? If I ask you to remember one, maybe you were interviewing somebody or you were going into interview, does any come to mind? I think that for me, the most significant or relevant interviews have been those that were more of conversations rather than interviews, right? So you you did have this approach of let's have a conversation. Give me your thoughts on this or that, or I can disagree with the interviewer and say, well, you know what, maybe not so much because of this. So I think those have been always the most productive uh, conversations and interviews that I've been part of, either as a you know as an interviewee or as somebody interviewing. And uh, it has to do with this capacity to get out of that meeting having some value added from both sides, right? For the candidate, it is learning more about the culture, the company, the job. But then for the, for the person interviewing, not only knowing the person better, but also, you know, saying, hey, this person made me think, right? They asked this question that was so smart. I had never thought about it this way, right? So interviews or, or processes where you're, you can take away things that are, you know, other than the typical things that you want to take away, right? I think those are the ones that I remember the most. And that is the experience that I always try to deliver for the candidates that I interview. Have you ever done the interviews where you're maybe doing a lunch interview or you're doing an interview with a dinner and the spouse or you're kind of taking them out of kind of the traditional interview environment to more develop that rapport and relationship? Have you had any success with that in the past? Yes, I have. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a way to understand, you know, how a person operates outside, let's say of the the typical work environment. Uh, It's interesting because as a, you know, an experienced interviewer, you take note of different things that happen during the process that are not necessarily the questions that you ask. Right. Mm -hmm. So of course it's interesting. Um, I would say that always you need to be very self-aware of the biases you bring to the process right in terms of well this is a way that i pick up you know the silverware and this person is not doing it oh my goodness this is terrible this is so you know kind of keep yourself in check right so that you don't over dimension if that's a word i'm sorry i'm gonna i love it we're inventing it it had over dimension it's it's a new word now (laughs) so you don't like you know take things out of proportion and um and that, that's something that it doesn't matter if you're like taking somebody out for dinner or with a spouse or whatever, it's, it's important to keep yourself in check so that you're asking the, the questions, understanding where you're coming from when you're asking the questions. So the things that you're pointing out or noticing about the way that the person is answering, right? So there's always, when you're interviewing, there's always this, let's say, very, very easy bias to fall into around, oh, this person is answering the way that I would. This person looks like that. This person has the same accent or comes from the same school or whatever. So be very cautious about the type of things that you are, that you're considering by favoring someone, right? Like when you're favoring someone, it needs to be because of their, again, their their potential, their skills, their experience. 
but you know, keep an eye on yourself. And I think that's super important. Yeah, I think there's some affirmation bias there. This person worked at a company that I respect. They went to the same school I did. They have this similar experience. And I think it's a very natural thing for people to want to hire people that are like them or have had experiences like them. And that can always get yeah. you into trouble. So I agree with you. You've always got to be checking your biases. If you're interviewing at a restaurant or on a Zoom or whatever it may be. So totally you know, something that I always do. And, and this is like I open it for a lot of people that I say this to. And it's for me, it's like super obvious. But you know, when you're in, when you're in an interview process and you're interviewing many candidates, right? Um, take note of the people that make you the most uncomfortable, because generally speaking, the people that make you the most uncomfortable are the ones that are the the least similar to you. The people that make it super easy. It's you know, it's not that we're we're gonna be confronting the candidates, not at all. But the people that think very different from you are the ones that are gonna say, huh, oh, you know, it, it generated this like uneasiness in me. Take note of those people because if you're trying to bring diversity to your teams, you know, diversity of thought, that is always a great for me. It's a great, a great thing to know. Who are the people that again make me learn, ask the right questions, and also maybe a little bit uneasy because they're thinking in such a different way than I am, right? So that's also something that I, I try to do, and it generally works. Yeah, that is a really interesting framing. I, somebody who spends a lot of time thinking about interviewing, I've never actually heard that before. I really like that. And you're right. Next time I'm uncomfortable in an interview or I'm like, I'm not sure about these answers, I'll, I'll try to reframe it and see maybe this is going to be somebody that thinks differently. It can help us innovate, can bring a lot of different great things to the table. I love that line of thought. Um, do you have a favorite question that you like to ask in interviews? Um, something that I do like to ask, let me think, I would say is, what do you need to be successful here? Like, tell me about what you, what would, what we would need to do as a company to make you successful here. And I, I remember that, you know, this is something that I was asked when I joined the company by um, my, my leader, the CEO of North America. And uh, I was kind of not used to it. And I was like, wow, that's a great question to ask. Like, I didn't know the answer to be honest. So, you know, when she asked me this, I was like, I don't know. I don't know what I need to be successful here. I don't know. I don't know the culture and another company. But she was asking about me. She, was, she wasn't asking about me fitting in. She was asking about me. So, you know, I love asking that question. What, would, what do you need to be successful? And the wow. answer can be anything, right? And I think it's super deep if you, if you can ask that and you can get a, you know, a good answer. Yeah, and I think another interesting thing is that sometimes it can be disqualifying too because maybe the things that they need are things that your company is not great at or you don't have available. And that gives you a good insight into this person. What are they going to be when they, they're working here? So I think that's a really good question. Now, listen, we all miss on people too, right? So is there anything when you've missed on somebody where you've looked back and there's a theme or something you wish you would have done differently? Yeah, I think that, you know, again, going back to the bias question, I think that the times that I missed were earlier in my career and uh, they had to do with like the, my own biases that I hadn't processed that well. So, you know, the things again, you know, again, affirmation bias or, you know, this person looks like me, talks like me, one of the same school, the things that I brought up a little bit ago, um, in action, right? Without thinking about them that, you know, back then. And now again, like, you know, after a, a few more turns around the sun, I realized that maybe the, the interviews that didn't go that well, or the people that I hired that weren't necessarily, you know, the, the best fit for the job I had to do with, you know, me seeing myself in these people, and maybe myself in that role wouldn't have been successful. So I made a, you know, I made a mistake. There. Mm, I love that. One of the things that I believe is that I think actually that 
candidates and interviewing is, is one of the most underrated forms of marketing that we have as a company. And I don't know that everybody looks at it that way, but I think about, especially when you're in a bigger company and you have a bunch of applicants and you have a bunch of people interviewing for multiple different roles throughout your company, the experience that they have a lot of the time, good or bad, is going to say a lot about, do they wanna work there? Would they recommend to their friends to work there? And sometimes even would they use the products and services of the company? So I always think about that. I'm interested from a candidate experience perspective, is there anything that you or Vitesco does that tries to give them an idea of like a realistic job preview, what it would be like to work at the company during the interview process? We, we're very, like, I'll, I'll be honest with you, we're pretty traditional in the way that we're interviewing. Um, so we're, it's not that we do necessarily do anything that's super, let's say, cool or different. We're part of the automotive industry. So, you know, that kind of gives you a little bit of, of um, yeah, I would say of, a, of an idea of how we interview. We do try to be very transparent and honest in the way we interview, right? So the way that we're talking here would be the way that I would be talking to a candidate and the way that our recruiters would be talking or reaching out to candidates. So um, we do a little bit of active sourcing and uh, we do go to like specific, you know, events or specific uh, places where we want to, you know, definitely push and, and bring in more people from, from, you know, different communities. So uh, we do that, participate in, you know, fairs, but it, it's more of the traditional side, I would say. Uh, but we are, we, we try to be very transparent in who we are, what we do and the things that you will find with us and the things, the things that you want, right? Like we have the, I, I would say the, the hundred thousand advantages of working for a German company, which is amazing, but it's also different, right? It's different from, you know, from working from, for an American company. So again, I think one of the things that defines us is, you know, transparency, uh, let's say an, an informal way of connecting, right? We're always available. You can reach out to us anytime. There's no secrets here. You can have our emails and uh, and you're, we're pretty agile. So from the moment that you interview until the moment you get hired, the whole process is probably gonna take not longer than you know three weeks. So that's that's really cool. And we always get back to everybody. So again, this image of we're, trans we're not super creative in the way that we do it, but we are who we are and, and we're gonna show you that. We're not gonna be you know, pretending we're something we're not and then getting you disappointed that, they, that you join us, right? So you like it, great. If you don't, it's okay. This is like a, you know, a dating exercise. If you, like, if you like me, it's all right, we can move on. If you don't, it's okay too. I literally used so many dating analogies that people just roll their eyes because I think there's a lot between <laughs> matching a person and matching a person to a company. And, you know, I don't want to overly generalize or stereotype, but you are a German company. I'm half German, so I think I can get away with this. It sounds like your process is punctual, efficient, and engineered for success. So there's probably some of those like kind of cultural tenants that come out into your interview process based on what you just said. I'm interested, can you take me behind the curtain of how you interview just in terms of, is there a technology that you rely on? Are you writing notes? Are you trying your best to be in the moment? Like what is the way that you capture the feedback or how do you make sure that, cause a lot of times what happens is if some, somebody like you interview somebody and then you got like a couple other meetings and then you're trying to think back to the experience, there can be some, some lost in translation stuff there. So I'm interested in what you do to kind of keep in check, document, make sure you're, you're, you're aligned in terms of the interview. No, and that's a great question. I think that's one of the, you know, one of the tricks when you're trying to do inclusive interviewing, right? It is try to have the same type of questions for everybody. So if you're going to be interviewing a bunch of people, ask them the same kind of questions so that you can compare apples to apples. If you're going to be asking different things, because again, you got, you know, sidetracked by a candidate that said, you know, shared something super cool and you, you spend 30 minutes talking about that and then you don't have time to kind of go to back to the, to the rest, you're not going to have 
the ability to then compare what skills are, you know, from candidate to candidate. So having kind of a structured approach to the questions that you're asking, and that can be for us particularly, we we defined um, a couple of years ago the the cultural traits that we wanted to convey and and um, let's say include our employees to to be kind of uh, advocates for, and uh, and that's what based like our our interview process and our interview structure is based on those cultural traits that we want to again you know kind of build and establish within our, our workforce. So we're asking questions around those topics. And all the questions we have, like a sample, you know, sample questionnaire for each of those pillars that we have around culture. And all the questions are that when you have, a, you know, X amount of candidates, we are asking the same questions to each of them. And then we're ranking them and rating them. So, again, we try to avoid bias in the process. And by asking similar questions to all of your candidates, you're, you're minimizing the, your capacity or your ability to bias your decision, right? So yeah. that's what we do to keep it focused on skills and keep it simple. I love you saying that. That I'm so appreciative of you saying it it's from from preaching to the choir here. Essentially, we're building software that's specifically for hiring managers. We want to make hiring more certain. We want to make it a less of a burden, a, a better experience. And one of the things that we do, to your point, is you, the interview is structured from a timing perspective, from the questions you're asking. Because if you're asking a candidate, you know, one candidate, you know. 15 different questions than the other candidate, then how are you really comparing them, right? You're not, like you said, you're not, comp and it's one of a simple mistake that a lot of managers make, right? Because a lot of times people are shooting from the cuff and thinking, of, you know, I'll do this, or I've asked this question this time, and I wanna ask this time, or I've asked the same questions I've always asked. It's so important that you're giving everybody kind of a very similar experience and standards so that when you're making a decision, you can do that. I believe our software is gonna help do that, but I'm so glad you said that because I find it to be super, super paramount and a simple thing that I think a lot of managers mess up on. Um, I wanna take a little bit of a different direction. I wanna learn a little bit more about it, kind of a little day of the life here. So I'm gonna ask, is there anything you're working right now on at Vitesco that you're really excited about, that you're really juiced about? Yeah, well, yeah, there's always, you know, there's always something. So um, we are um, in the process of getting our DNR report for last year ready. It's the first time we're going to go global until last year. We're a company that's only two and a half years old. So you need to understand that we're like early in our journey, right? Um, so we're going to be launching our DNI report coming up in March. Uh, that's before our shareholder meeting that's going to happen in, in April. So that's exciting. That's the first time, again, that we're going to do it for, you know, all of our countries, our main operations around the world. And uh, it's it's good. It's it's a lot of work. It's good. Um, we're always working around, how, you know, building our network of not only employee resource groups around the world. And that means that, you know, we, we did a campaign in China in December, between November and December, and we got about 700 new people joining our, you know, our ecosystem of employee resource groups, which is, which is great, uh, a great hit for one country in a couple months. Um, so building that, you know, ecosystem of people that are connected to DNI topics, again, generates you know, continuity of all of our efforts and also includes people in, in this like bottom up approach. So it's not only working with leaders, but it's also working with people so that people feel that they have, let's say a home within the company and they can raise their voice and they can say, hey, this is not working for me because of this and that. So uh, being able to, again, um, make this a kind of a democratic approach, right? With, with a top down approach, but also a bottom up approach for me is always a passion of mine. So that's, that's great. That's something that's 
ongoing and yeah, it's never going to stop. So <laughs> Mike like it, right? You'll have to let us know how that grades out and, and good luck in the, the April meeting for the shareholders. But it sounds like a lot of positive things going on. So that's that's super exciting. We like to a lot of times look at an old LinkedIn post and, and ask you what you were thinking when you posted this. So I did not prepare you for this, but it was only a month ago. So hopefully you remember. Who said work and life are not integrated? I've made some of the best friends of my life at work, those that will be by my side in good times and bad. Thank you for all your unconditional support and for allowing us to be in our true selves around each other. Life is definitely better with y'all in it. You know who you are, even those that aren't in the pick below. So I just, I love this concept of work-life integration. For me, some of my best friends I work with, um, I work from home and, and take emails and do it. Like these things don't stop or start. I'm just kind of doing all of them at all the time. So walk me through that. Yeah, well, it's kind of my life too. You know, I work from home. What you see is not a background. That's actually my office. Um, I do work every now and then. I go down to the office in, in suburban Detroit. I, I live in mid-state in Michigan, so I'm a couple hours uh, north of, of my office. And I also have a workspace in uh, Regensburg in Germany. So I kind of, you know, depending on, on what's what's around or what's up, I'm, I'm working either or. And um and again, just because of our culture, right? We try to be fresh, we try to be close to people, we try to be open, that's enabled me. And again, this like huge ecosystem of people that are connected to DNI, that's enabled me to build like amazing relationships with people and you know, different functions and finance and purchasing and the, the commercial sales side, you name it, right? So all those people in that picture, none of them are in the DNI office. They, they're all from different functions and uh, I feel very, you know, very blessed and very lucky to have been able to build those relationships because I, I, I am a true believer that you need to love what you do, right? And um, and if you if you build these relationships and these friendships at work, then it makes it all so much easier. It's so nice to be working for friends with friends, right? Okay. So I know it's difficult. Sometimes it's just work and you cannot get personal. And there's all these like, you know, different um let's say walls that we build around ourselves right but if you're able to start like tearing those walls down a little bit and start sharing a little bit of yourself you're going to realize that everybody around you is just people right and it's great and it's great to have relationships beyond what you need to do or the tasks right so i would encourage everybody to try and build that because it makes life so much better right it's an absolute deal breaker for me if i don't have it if i don't have multiple people that i enjoy being with both on a personal and professional basis at work then I'm going to go find somewhere where that exists because the minute that I'm just thinking about only doing my job, coming home and, 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 and going to bed and waking up and do it again, like I'm, that, I can't, that can't sustain for me. I, that doesn't fuel me. That doesn't energize me. It's all about the people at the end of the day. So I, I certainly appreciate that. I see a lot of books back there. Do you have one that you'd maybe recommend or maybe the last book you read that, that you want to bring up? Oh, let me, let me take a look. What would I do? Uh, what would I recommend? Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, Adam Grant. I don't know if you know him, Ooh. but you probably do. Yeah, think again. I just read that uh, a few months ago. Really good. I was going to recommend that one, but there's a couple others. So yeah, um, Adam Grant, you should check it out. And if you don't, like he's amazing. I do a lot of reposts of thoughts that he shares. So if you want to follow me on LinkedIn, you have a lot of material there. And uh, he's a, he has a couple others that are really good. So I would recommend I'm a big fan of Adam Grant. I will definitely do that. You know, I found, you know, I don't know if he would want me to say this, but um, I found out somebody recently had him speak at an engagement. It was like, uh, I'll just put it this way, mid six figures was, was the deal to come talk there. So he has done well for himself in terms of the, the, the following and community he's built. Um, but he's a brilliant guy and has really good books and a really great way of delivering uh, his thoughts. So I, I really appreciate that. Um, last question. 
if you could uh, offer young Florencia, early in career Florencia, one bit of advice, or maybe somebody who's earlier in their career listening to this podcast that you didn't know then, but that you know now, what would it be? Um, early Florencia, I would say build relationships, you know, back to the point of the friendships that you were talking about. Well, not everybody needs to be a friend, but you know, a lot of work happens through and with the connections that you make. So it's more than your job. Your job is important. You need to get things done. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to be doing good, but take some time to build relationships, to connect with people, to get to know people. Right. And that's going to help you along the way, you know, and for me, for somebody that's starting their career, find mentors, find people that can teach you, right. You don't know it all, right. You're just starting and you want to get places. So find the people that can listen to you and can teach you. I can help you in that process. So that would be my advice to myself. That's really good advice. So Florencia, I really appreciate you coming on. I'm excited to follow along with Vitesco and all the great things that you're doing over there. I appreciate you taking a little time to join the podcast and I know everyone's going to love this episode. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Awesome. Pleasure to meet Bye. you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.